Welcome to another Kundalini Conversation. I'm your host, Brent Spirits, and my guest today is Julie Hoyle. Welcome, Julie. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Brent. It's my honor. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, me too. So we just uh, had a conversation on your podcast, Talking True, yesterday, and that went really deep. It was really exciting. And of course, uh, that was about me and my journey, but here we're going to unpack you and your journey. And I think there's a lot of parallels and a lot of value that we can extract because I know you've, you've been through a lot and um, I'm really excited to see where our conversation goes today. Uh, so Julie is the author of six books, including An Awakened Life, A Journey of Transformation, Living in Alignment, Wake Up and Say Yes, Enlightenment Myth Busting, Seeing Through the Lies That Bind, and Meeting the Shadow, Finding Yourself, a handbook on how to transform the dark side of your personality. Now, Julie's also an artist. She's a spiritual guide offering shadow work sessions and in-depth energy work, as well as the host of Talking True. Now, Julie, making us all jealous, she's coming up to us today from the Bahamas with a lot of experience with Kundalini Awakening, Kundalini Shakti Awakening. So um, I always like to begin with a brief uh, you know, story about how I become connected with my guests. And Julie and I have a pretty interesting story. So I received an email the other day from Julie saying, hey, Brent, I'd like to invite you on my podcast and my YouTube channel, Talking True. And I said, oh, fantastic. I'd love to, love to join you on your show. And so I, I uh, you know, checked out your channel and, and um, you mentioned that you had experienced uh, Shaktipat transmission from Bhagwan Nityananda of Ganeshpuri, who's an Indian guru. And uh, I thought well, that's really interesting because just the night before, I was reading a book called The Sacred Power by Swami Kripananda, who belongs to Bhagwan Nityananda's lineage. And at the end of the book, there's a, a portrait, a black and white photo, I can actually show it here, of Bhagwan Nityananda. And admittedly, I didn't really know much about Bhagwan Nityananda. I, I still don't. But I remember just that night contemplating this image here, just really, uh, um, you know, recognizing the Shakti in, in Bhagwan Nityananda. And uh, so the next day, of course, Julie says, hey, well, you know, I, I had this Shaktipat experience from Bhagwan Nityananda. I said, oh, that's interesting. I was just looking at his picture the night before. And uh, then, you know, of course, Julie says, well, yeah, well, well Bhagwan Nityananda invited he told me to invite you on the show brand so i said like interesting and very interesting this uh this guru is is playing agent for uh podcasters and the guests on the show it's pretty fascinating stuff so we'll unpack this of course bhagwan nitinanda is uh he's known as a, a shakti pot guru uh, uh you know steeped in that uh the shakti i mean it's radiating and of course he's not in his body uh, anymore, but still that presence is, is uh, it's all around and, and seems like he's uh, still uh, serving, serving those on the path. So of course, uh, Julie, I'm going to hand it over to you to really uh, take us through your journey. Let us know about this experience you had. Um, the, the aim for our conversation today, uh, for those listening, is to really unpack Julie's journey for entertainment value. Of course, it's so fascinating to have these conversations, but also uh, to unpack the challenges that Julie faced, which I'm sure many can relate with. And then, of course, to explore some of the solutions to those challenges, because this path is very, very challenging. So I'm really happy to be here with you, Julie, uh, to really uh, see what we can uh, cover today. So take it away. Tell us, you know, how does this all begin for you? The spiritual path, the spiritual awakening journey, Kundalini awakening. Where does it all, where does it all start for you? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for the introduction. That was really great. And as I said, I'm honored to be here. So um, to provide context, let me just say I'm living in the Bahamas now, but I was born and raised in the UK to a fairly, I'd say, poor working class family um, with no real interest in any sort of spiritual motivation. My father was um, a Catholic, but certainly he wasn't a practicing Catholic. My mother was an, an agnostic, and um, yet I was born into this family, and from the day I can remember, the earliest days I can remember, I was having out-of-body experiences, lucid dream meetings, um, visitations from angels. I could see things and hear things, and um, 
you know, it was really very obvious that there was more to life than I was being told and what was being presented to me. So there was a really deep longing within me to find someone who could speak to what my direct experiences were, you know. And I knew that I had to find that person or find that teaching. I wasn't, couldn't even quite put it into words. So that was kind of the orientation of my early life. And, um, you know, I was ha having this sort of radical psychic phenomenon that was happening around me. And I remember when I was around 14, I looked up at the sky and spoke to God and said, I can't do this anymore. You have to take this away. And I was referring to the psychic phenomenon because I began to realize that not everybody was experiencing life in the same way that I was. And I just felt a bit weird because I didn't have anybody to speak to about what was going on. So, I, you know, all of that psychic phenomenon closed down. And then, um, you know, later on, I trained as a teacher, met my husband, and we decided to move to the Bahamas. We were offered jobs in the Bahamas. And so we arrived in the Bahamas in 1980. And, um, you know, it was like living the dream. Fantastic, beautiful climate, uh, gorgeous ocean. We bought a boat. We were doing, you know, all these amazing things and meeting wonderful people. And I really loved the Bahamian people and I loved the excitement of this adventure. But at the same time, there was this discontent that was still there below the surface of, you know, the apparent kind of like experiences. And I remember going to parties and social events where I was, I would look deeply into the eyes of people that I was meeting. And I was longing to, to recognize what I was looking for. And I couldn't even put into words what it was that I was looking for, but I knew that when I found it I would recognize it and invariably I've come away from these these events very disappointed because I didn't couldn't find anybody and um and what happened was I was filled with such incredible energy I mean I had so much energy I mean I know we do when we're in our 20s and 30s but my energy was like through the roof you know I'd go work a full day and then I'd go to the gym for two or three hours and you know do classes pilates and exercise classes and so on and so forth and um and then I'd paint you know I'd be doing paintings and I I would just stretch the day for as long as I could um and one afternoon when I got back from work I remember going outside and picking up my snorkeling gear because I used to go and swim we, we were blessed to be living on the beach you know right next to the ocean and I remember picking up my snorkeling gear and I heard this message that it was so loud. It was both outside and inside. And the message was, you cannot go on like this. And I knew it was this profound message. And I looked around to see if there's anybody there and there wasn't. And shortly after that, I injured my back in um you know, an aerobics class, I had an instructor that was really kind of like <laughs> pushing it, you know, and he had us do a, um, it was, it was, you know, legs, legs wide, and then a forward bend, leaning forward. And I, I did that. And I heard my back pop. And um, I knew I was in trouble. So what happened then was I um, was on pain medication, I eventually ended up on bed rest for I don't know, two months or something like that. I was in absolute agony. I couldn't get out of bed. And I had this epiphany. I think I went to see six or seven doctors and they were all kind of prescribing different medications and it really wasn't touching the pain. But at a certain point, I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was that my back condition related to closing all my gifts down or the gifts, I can't say my, I can't take, <laughs> you know, a personal kind of like responsibility for these gifts because they were just given, right? Um, and I realized that it was because they had been closed down and that this is part of what the deep discontent was speaking to. So I started to do this kind of intuitive drawing and painting, you know, it, what, what does this condition relate to? And I would, you know, started coloring it with red and orange, like bands of fire. And, and the message was that I 
you know, I needed to awaken to and release this dormant energy that had been forcefully kind of repressed. And soon after that, I actually started to feel better. And I started to pray to God because my deceased grandmother who died many years before began coming to me in my dreams and she was giving me advice and she was urging me to pray. She said, pray, you must pray, you must pray. So I started to pray. I didn't even really know whether I believed in God, quite honestly. <laughs> but I, you know, I said this prayer and I said, look, if there is a God, I'm praying to you for help. Please help me, help me to heal and help me to see what needs to be seen and, you know, um, understand what action needs to be taken. And soon after that, I heard that, the again, I started to feel better. And then soon after that, I heard about a meditation group that was meeting literally half, half a mile from where I was living. So as soon as I was strong enough and well enough and so on and so forth and was functioning, I went along to this meditation. And the thing is, is I'd always wanted to learn how to meditate. And I figured, you know, maybe meditation will help with this back issue because I don't want it ever to come back again because it was just so awful. So I went along and, you know, the, it was a fairly small group. The people there were very nice and they were all professional. And that was important to me because, you know, I know it sounds shallow, but I it, it was important that they weren't kind of flaky, woo-woo kind of people. And um, so anyway, we were led into um, meditation. We were given the mantra Om Namah Shivaya. And Om is the primordial sound. Nama means I bow to. And Shiva or Shivaya is supreme consciousness itself. So you're actually saying, you know, I bow to the light. I bow to the Lord. I bow to God or source within my own being. And I love the chanting and uh, the music was lovely. And when it came to meditation, I could not for the life of me meditate. My mind was so, so busy. So I remember trying for a few minutes and then I ended up opening my eyes and looking around the room, trying to figure out, you know, how can he be sitting so still and what's he doing, what's she doing? So I tried, you know, I think I went two or three times and the third time I went, it was disastrous again. And I said to myself, you know, I've tried meditation. It doesn't work for me. This is the last time I'm ever coming to this group. Um, and then I drove home and you know went to bed and then that night i had a lucid dream and for those who don't know what a lucid dream is a lucid dream is when you wake up in a dream and you recognize this is a dream and i am dreaming and i've been a lucid dreamer ever since i was born you know i've always had lucid dreams so i woke up in this dream and i was in a place that was reminiscent of India, although I'd never been to India. I knew it was in, I was in India. And I was walking with a small group of people up a hill towards, uh, we were in a rural setting and we were walking up towards this cinder block building, uh, this one story cinder block building. And my heart was pounding and we were carrying, we were yogis, I knew we were happy yogis, we were carrying these rolled yoga mats. And I was walking alongside a woman that I had just met at the, uh, in the meditation group. Her name was Cheryl. And um, we walk, everybody was walking in silence. And we entered the, the building at the back. There was a, a door at the back. And we entered through the door. And as we entered, I noticed, I could see that there was the yogi, this incredible looking yogi sitting cross-legged at the front of the room on a low wooden tucket. He was wearing a white loincloth. He had his eyes closed. And there was the most profound recognition. It was like everything within me just collapsed and pronounced. And I recognized that he was the great being that I'd always been searching for. And at that moment, it was like, everything completely fell away. All of that kind of seeking energy, the angst just fell away. Um, and he didn't move a muscle, didn't open his eyes. And Cheryl whispered to me, unroll your mat and lay down on the floor. So I did, 
and you know the other people did the same and then Cheryl whispered to me repeat the mantra so I started to repeat Om Namah Shivaya and literally the millisecond before I started repeating it I felt this tap on the top of the head and I knew that this great being at the front of the room had initiated he tapped I couldn't have, I couldn't have used that language then but I knew it was he he was the one that had hit the top of my head and from that tap the most incredibly potent and powerful energy began to pour through my being it just went into every single cell of my being it just cascaded down and it was swirling kind of violently and it was going around and around and around each cell and I could feel each cell pulsating and vibrating with this energy that was getting more and more and more powerful the more I repeated the mantra and, and watched this energy moving. And at the same time, what happened was my body began to lift up off the floor and kept rising and rising. And as the energy was developing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more kind of potent and fiery, I almost began to smell smoke. And I knew that if I didn't and I tried to stay with it as long as I could, but I had this feeling that at a certain point, I just burst into flames or something. Um, but what happened is after several minutes, I held it as long as I could, and then I couldn't hold it anymore. And I felt my subtle body crash through time and space, and then it entered the heart chakra. And I had been, I was asleep, and I was lying on the bed on my back, and my subtle body entered the heart chakra with such force my body woke up and I sat up in bed and went Ugh! you know really loudly and my husband woke up and he said what happened he was scared he said what happened what happened and I said I don't know but my life will never be the same again mm. and that message proved to be true it was prophetic and um, what happened was you know I had so much energy I couldn't go back to sleep. I got up and started cleaning and doing all kinds of things, you know, in the kitchen and the lounge and so on and so forth until it was time to, um, to go to work. And at the time I was teaching in a government school, I was teaching art and design. And um, I remember getting in the car to drive to work and it was around uh, three, it's only three miles away, but it used to take like 30 minutes or more because the traffic was so bad. But I had to keep pulling over because I would be kind of submerged in fits of, of laughter. I just uncontrollable laughter. I'd be, laugh, I'd be laughing so hard I'd start crying. And then I'd kind of collect myself, gather myself, get on the road again. And then I would just feel the just floods of tears and I would be sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and I'd have to pull over and cry. So anyway, <clears throat> I got to school gathered myself together, went to the art room, and the first lesson of the day was with a group of uh, grade 10 boys. And they used to love art, and they would run to the, to the art room to line up. So the first boy that morning came running, you know, and his name was, I'll never forget, Cancino Lightborn. And the first thing he said to me was, good morning, Miss Hoyle. I said, good morning, Cancino, how are you? And he says, he looked down at my shoes and says, man, Miss Hoyle, you need a new pair of shoes. <laughs> you should go, there's a shoe sale on. You should go to um, Mike's shoe store. They're having a discount today. And I just said, oh, thank you, Cancino. Yeah, I agree. I do need a new pair of shoes. And yeah, I'll check it out. But I was thinking, you know, <clears throat> I wouldn't bother. And then two other people said the same thing. And so by lunchtime, I thought to myself, I have to go check this out because three messages, I knew it meant something. So I drive to this shoe store and I go there and, you know, I look through these dusty boxes and I just thought, no, there's, it's, there's nothing here. But then I remembered that Unity, Unity Church of the Bahamas was just opposite the shoe store. And I thought, well, maybe there's a book in there that will explain what happened to me last night because I really wasn't clear about what it was all about. So I went into the bookstore and I'm kind of looking around and there was nothing there. And then I heard a voice behind me say, oh, hi, Julie. And I turned around and it was Cheryl. It was the lady from the dream the night before. So I said, oh, my God, Cheryl, 
I, I can't believe you're here. This is amazing. And I started telling her what had happened to me. And she said, come to my house today after school. Uh, I need to tell you some things. And she said, I just want you to know, I haven't been in this bookstore for years, years. But she said, I got a message to come today. And I'm sure it was because, you know, we needed to meet. So um, later that day, I went to Cheryl's house. She handed me a book called Play of Consciousness. And when I opened the book, uh, on the second or third page in, there was a photograph of Bhagavan Nityananda of Ganesh Puri. And I just said, oh my God, this is, this is Bhagavan Nityananda. He was in the dream. And she said, oh my gosh, he was a born avidut. He was born realized. He's known in India for giving Shaktipat. And even though he took Mahasamadhi in 1962, I think it was. Yes. Yep. He, that's the book right there, Play of Consciousness. Extraordinary. That's him. Bhagavan Nichinanda is on the right and, and uh, Baba Muktananda is on the left. And yeah, so extraordinary, Siddhas. And she said, <clears throat> yes, that's the book, Play of Consciousness. And um, so <clears throat> she said, he's a great, he was a born Avadut. He's a Shaktipat guru. And Shaktipat, Diksha, is when a great being gives the transmission of his or her energy to awaken the dormant Shakti, the Kundalini Shakti, in a seeker. And she said, you are so incredibly blessed because um, to have him come in a dream and give you initiation is really profound. And so, you know, that kind of became clear. And what happened then following that was you know, even though I'd always been a lucid dreamer, it was as if Bhagavan Nityananda had come and installed himself within my being. And then I was having these incredible lucid dream meetings with more siddhas and great beings from other traditions. And they would give initiation and they would come and speak to me and they would, you know, tell me, like one time these yogis, were um they were kind of standing behind a griddle with meat that was kind of being cooked on this griddle and i had been thinking the day before should i should i stop eating meat you know i used to occasionally eat meat and so i had this dream and they said it's good to eat sattvic food when the kundalini has been awakened it's important to eat sattvic or pure food and um, and so they didn't say, yes, you know, you have to become vegetarian. They, this is just what they said. And then I could decide what I wanted to do. Um, and then also the microwave stopped working. Um, you know, all of these crazy things started happening in the cottage that we were living. You know, light bulbs would burst and fans would spin. You know, the, the standing fans that you plug into the wall, they weren't even plugged in and they would spin wildly. And um, I knew it was all related to, to receiving, having received Shaktipat from Bhagavan Nityananda. Um, and this went on for years and still, still does. It's kind of, uh, I guess, softened a little bit more. It's become more subtle. But uh, this, this psychic phenomenon just kind of just blew. It just blew, <laughs> blew up, blew up. And because of because of his initiation, this is uh, an incredibly mind mind blowing uh, story, which I'm sure many out there listening can relate to. Early on, you know, you have these natural psychic gifts, which many people do, and for those who don't, it can you know cause a little bit of jealousy. They may say, "Well, I want psychic powers and gifts," but the truth of the matter is, it's you know, it's very challenging at times. And like you said, you have to, uh, you know, ask God, you know, just to stop, just take this all away. It's, uh, it's a lot to, uh, to manage, especially in this modern world where people don't uh, fully accept or understand. But um, nonetheless, you know, those who have these gifts, they're, we're given these gifts for a reason. So it only makes sense that it would now reemerge later on in your journey. Very interesting that, um, you know, the, you experienced that back in injury with the pop yes. and intuitively you connected some of the dots. 
think that's pretty interesting. Pretty, pretty interesting. Um, of course, you, you have uh, some books out about lucid dreaming. It seems to be uh, one, of your, one of your areas of specialization. I have a talk on, on Kundalini and dreams in which I essentially say, look, some of this phenomena happens in dreams. And it's very easy for uh, a skeptical person to say, you were just dreaming. None of this is valid. None of this is real. It's all in a dream, right? You know, dream on, right? But uh, my message in that talk is, uh, you know, we don't know what dreams are. Science doesn't know. Psychology doesn't know. It's something that we really take for granted that we spend quite literally a, a very large portion of our lives sleeping and dreaming. And we don't even know what we're doing. We don't know. Um, but clearly there's a, a incredible potential there for spiritual development and growth. And for those out there that may be listening and saying, you know, I had some Kundalini phenomena in a dream. I had some spiritual phenomena in a dream. Was it just a dream? Well, I would argue absolutely not. It's very real because like, like Julie, what you're sharing here, the experiences you had in the dream carry over into your waking life and have continued to influence you to this day. So it wasn't just a, a fleeting dream. It was a very real and valid experience. Um, as equal to, you know, maybe if you had encountered a, a great Shaktipat guru in person, as equal to, say, a, a plant medicine journey or, or as equal to, you know, doing a lot of uh, practical meditation or physical uh, healing or, or yoga, whatever it is, just because it's in a dream doesn't mean it's invalid. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy that you're here, you know, uh, having, uh, having been transformed by a dream showing, you know, these aren't just dreams, it's very real stuff. So, um, so you, you've now had this incredible synchronicity encountering Cheryl in the bookstore. You're getting a sense that something is calling you, provoking you to move forward on your journey. You're in the flow. You know about Bhagwan Nityananda now this this feeling of you know longing for this individual with some answers has come to you now now where do you go from here so first of all let me speak to you know is this a dream did you know is it really relevant or whatever is it real is it true um i i never had that question actually at all it because i trusted i implicitly trusted the place from which this awakening was given i recognized it you know, and you could say it was from a former lifetime, but I, who knows? Um, but what happened is I shared this, the dream, ex, the lucid dream experience in Shaktipat with the group that um, I had gone to meditate with. And, um, and of course, I carried on meditating after that. But somebody said, look, um, the head of the current lineage, the Siddha Yoga lineage is in India. Why don't you send a letter asking, you know, is this real? Is it true? So I did. I went and bought a really beautiful card and I detailed my story and sent it off in the mail. And then I literally forgot all about it. And I think maybe four months went by. And one day I went to the mailbox to pick up my mail and I opened the mailbox and for some weird reason, you know, mailboxes are really small by like this, but for some real weird reason, instead of putting my dominant hand in to take the letter out, I saw there was a letter there. I took the letter with both hands and there was so much Shakti in this letter. I gasped and stepped, I stepped back and, you know, held on to it. And I, I was just astonished and I looked at it and I thought I, I didn't recognize where it was from because there was a postmark from New York and I didn't at the time know anybody in New York. And I was wise enough to know that I needed to take the letter home and sit with it at home, you know, quietly. So I did and I opened up the letter and it was from the head of the Siddha lineage. And the letter had been posted from India via New York before it came to the Bahamas. And the letter essentially said, thank you very much for sharing your dream experience. And the answer to your question is, yes, great beings do come in dreams to give initiation. And you know the initiation is real if your life has changed as a result. And I just sat there and burst into tears. I cried for, I don't know, two or three hours because I realized that my life had been drastically transformed. I hadn't consciously made a choice 
to get up at 3 3 a.m. To, to meditate, I would just wake up and I would want to go and meditate. I hadn't consciously made a choice to drop certain friends that I didn't feel there was any resonance. It just happened on its own. I was eating a cleaner diet. I was being very careful about what I watched in terms of the news or what I was reading or who I was kind of hanging out with. And, and all of that had happened organically. It had happened on its own. And I began to also really see and perceive in a much, much more expansive way. So the evidence of my own life proved, not that I needed proof, I didn't, but it proved that this, this awakening was real and authentic and true. So um, what happened then was I understood, implicitly understood that I needed to be very quiet about who I shared this unfolding with, the unfolding of the Shakti. I felt safe sharing with people in the meditation group, but I knew to kind of share to a wider audience, especially in the Bahamas, because it's, um, it's essentially a sort of Christian um, nation. And I knew that there would be some kind of misunderstanding, about, especially back then in the late 80s, early 90s. There was a bit of kind of a wariness against yoga and meditation, those things. So, and I just knew I was told by these great beings to keep quiet about what was unfolding within my being. So I essentially, I did. I kept really quiet, didn't tell anybody other than people um, at the, uh, during the meditation group meetings. And then this went on for some time. And then uh, my husband and I were invited to go on staff to be staff members at the ashram in India, the Siddha Yoga ashram in India. And we went and I was thinking, and this was in uh, 2001. So I, you know, I'd been doing this inner work for more than 20 years. And I went to the ashram expecting or anticipating maybe that I would have even more amazing lucid dream meetings, initiations, and, you know, all this kind of incredible psychic phenomenon would would kind of expand even more and instead what happened was I was forced to look at the shadow and do shadow work which was very challenging but you know really transformational and um, we were in India my husband and I were in India for 18 months and then we spent six months at the ashram in New York and then following that we you know, needed to make some money because we hadn't been earning anything for those two years. And we were invited uh, and offered positions at schools in the Ukraine. And we went to the Ukraine. Um, so what happened then was, you know, the whole time I was doing the inner work, I was meditating, I was doing the practices, doing self-inquiry, doing the shadow work, journaling, you know, and all of these things. And then um, in 2007, when we'd moved to Grand Bahama Island, even though we thought we'd never come back to the Bahamas, you know, we've, there's a whole story around what happened there, but we ended up back in the Bahamas. And yeah, in 2007, I had a dream, a lucid dream with one of the great Siddha masters. And she said to me, when are you writing the book? And I said, what am I supposed to, what, you know, what do I write about? You know, I had no intention of being an author. What am I writing about? So she just kind of looks at me as if to say, come on now, don't be so dumb. And um, so, so I woke up from that dream and I said, you know, in prayer, you know, I'll, I'll write the book, but I'm not going to write anything if it comes from the ego. I'm absolutely not interested. It really has to kind of be downloaded, so to speak. I'll do it then, otherwise I don't want anything to do with it. And then I forgot all about it. And a few weeks later, we were, my husband and I were doing a house sit, taking care of a dog in, you know, in this beautiful home overlooking the ocean. And um, I sat on the balcony one morning drinking coffee. And then I heard literally word for word, it was like the book was being dictated. And I just grabbed a pencil and pen and started writing it out um and that was the beginning of um you know how the books writing the books started and the first book an awakened life a journey of transformation details the kind of the whole um process of awakening and, and what happened 
And so from that point on, um, what happened is it's, I always say the Shakti, it's like a big tsunami, it moves in and I just go with it and um, I get this prompt to do something and I just do it. You know, I just trust it implicitly. And I know that if I don't, and I usually don't have a clue, that I know that I'll be given guidance and um, somehow it, you know, I'll figure it out. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, I, I want to unpack a little bit about uh, your period of shadow work. Um, from what I gather, was this the uh, period of emotional and psychological purification, purging? Would you attribute this period to that sort of uh, experience? Yes. I mean, you know, Dr. Carl Jung has famously um, in his writings and his teachings spoken to what the shadow is. And the shadow is the, the unconscious. It's the unconscious within our being. It's, it, it's where we house those beliefs that we're not good enough or, you know, that uh, we don't have creative talents or that we don't measure up and you know if people knew the truth they wouldn't want to know us it's 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 all of those things and that we kind of inherit from childhood right um so it's patterns and conditionings and, and beliefs of a negative kind and so we try to separate away from that and present in the best light possible and um i'd never heard of that i'd never done any counseling or anything as as a child i mean i you know was new but what happened was when I was at the ashram I was um, involved with I was asked to be part of the logistics team which would be the team that would set up intensives and programs and events when the guru um, the enlightened master was there and so I was part of that you know team and I remember one day there was a young woman who was she was managing a, a new event that was happening and it was dear to her heart and I was sitting at a computer finishing something up I was typing something up and she asked me to help and I said yes I'll absolutely I'll help you just let me finish this document let me save it close it down and then I'll be right with you and she just kind of she was like a tigress she launched up at me I was showing her teeth and her you know fangs and her paws and whatever and was yelling at me and cussing and carrying on like a wild thing using really foul language and it was just sh so shocking I it's like you know I couldn't believe it and so um I just closed everything down went outside and I was leaning up against the building and I had this thought and the thought was how is it possible that someone with so much anger can be at the ashram and with that recognition, I felt this dark energy coming up from within my being. And I knew that this young woman was just reflecting the suppressed anger and depression, despair, irritation, whatever it was, you know, that whole collective bag of whatever um, within me. It was all my stuff. And so, so what happened then was um, I was... For part of my duty, I used to do library saver or service, you know, and there was the most incredible collection of them, really amazing books from all paths, faiths and traditions and, you know, speaking about awakening and, you know, all kinds of things. And so it was a pretty huge space and I was walking up and down the aisles, dusting and so on and so forth. And I was walking past one row of books and a book literally jumped out and landed at my feet. And I bent down and picked it up and saw that it's a book um, by Mrs. Irina Tweedy. And it was all about, when I opened it, I just flicked it open and it was about shadow work. And she said she had gone to India to study with a guru and she thought he would show her light. He thought he would, he would show her God and instead he forced her to face the darkness within her and it almost killed her and I knew as soon as I read that 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 was what was happening in my case I was being forced to face the darkness within me and um, the whole time I was there 
it, it, I, you know, I'd wake up and I'd just be dealing with something else and this rage would come up and the anger would come up and frustration would come up. And it was like, it was so ancient. And so I was really, you know, everybody who was there most, it seemed, was blissed out and enjoying it. And I was just struggling, you know, it's like dealing with this, the, the weight of this, of this darkness. So I, I worked on that for many, 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 many months. And um, at a certain point, I knew that it was kind of, it was finished. It had been seen and integrated and loved into the light. And what I found is that work is essential um, to kind of ground you in a way, because if you haven't done your, your energy work, your this work with the psyche, those parts of you that, you know, believe that you're less than, or, you know, that something's wrong, or, you know, you don't want people to find out about you, those parts will keep pulling you back into limitation, even if you have the most incredible psychic gifts and phenomenon and expansion of consciousness and all of those things. So it was really, all of that work was really vital. And, um, and also the other part of that is that as I was doing the, the shadow work, the, I guess, repressed creative energy and power started to come out. And so I was, I went through this period where I was just painting like a dervish and writing like a dervish. And it was just kind of pouring, pouring out of me. Pretty, and, um, I'm just going to get you to elaborate a little bit more on the, the, the way that you worked with these emotions and things that were coming up. Um, for those out there that are in the midst of the shadow work period, a lot of them feel victimized by this, right? Why is this happening to me? Where is this coming from? Why am I you know, facing all these difficult emotions? And often that causes some confusion, especially if they don't have proper context. Uh, causes them to feel like this kundalini thing is this is not a blessing this is just a curse um so you you mentioned here that you that the repressed material the anger the re resentment frustration etc was seen integrated and loved into the light can you elaborate a little bit more on this um for those that are in the midst of this kind of period Yes. So <clears throat> what happened was, because um, it was a shock when I first recognized what this was, because like I said, never heard of it, but I began to contemplate, meditate. Okay. How, how do you even work with this? I didn't have any tools. I didn't have anything to work with. Right. And um, uh, although I did have Mrs. Irina Tweedy's book, Chasm of Fire, it's is the book if anybody's interested, but she didn't detail how to work with the shadow. She just it, she was just sharing from her diary and it was it's pretty intense. Um, so but what happened was I turned inside myself, which I'd been used to doing for years because I didn't have anybody to kind of go to or ask. So I turned inside myself and asked, how do I do this? And then I was given this inner guidance to make a list. So I started by making a list of five people that I really admired in my life. And those people were, you know, Mother Ma Mother Teresa and, you know, the great beings I'd had darshan of in the lucid dreams. And, you know, I had a really lovely, wonderful gift of the list of these great beings. And then I made a list of five people that I really didn't like, didn't care for, or, you know, you could say hated, although hate was a really strong word, but some people I, I just didn't want to be around or didn't want to be like. And then um, I was invited to look at, and this was all spontaneously coming out of me, you know, and I was invited to look at the people who I admired and put the qualities alongside them that I really admired, which I did, which was easy. And then the same with the people that I really didn't want to, you know, didn't like. And then I was shown that the qualities of both are within me. Mm. Um, and, and, and here was the other side of that too. What, so, so that was a shocker because, you know, I didn't want to kind of acknowledge <laughs> that the qualities in a, a relative that I really couldn't stand um, were also in me. But then what happened was then, you know, after I got over the shock of that, look, oh, you know, how do they manifest? I was guided to look at those qualities in terms of keeping myself safe, 
so so a negative can actually have a positive um, kind of impact. So, for example, you know, if you have somebody who I can't—I don't know—is is selfish and mean, you know, which means that you know, if I if I see that in in this person, then I have, you know, I can be selfish and mean. So then I would inquire, okay, when or why, in what circumstances am I selfish and mean? And what I began to see was I had no boundaries. You know, I didn't know anything about boundaries because I'd come from this place of lack of self-worth. And so when you have a lack of self-worth, you're trying to please everybody all the time. You have, you know, I had no boundaries. And um, so I began to see that the times when I was being selfish, I was actually, it was like a a kind of a a trauma response, you know, trying to keep myself kind of safe and preserve my energy so that I don't kind of bleed out too much. So there's always a positive in the negative. If you understand, you know, so, so when you highlight the people that you don't like, for example, you can't get along with or drive, drive you crazy, you make your list. But then you say, OK, why, why or when do I exhibit selfishness or greed or anger or whatever? And, and again, there's always a positive. So that really, really helped me. So I did that work you know, fairly intensely. And then the other thing that I did was I asked, I prayed and I asked to be shown when, when the shadow was at play, you know, and I was maybe pulling back or trying to sort of repress or hide. Um, Or if somebody said something to me that would kind of trigger me, I asked to see that really, really clearly so that it would not be missed. And I asked for guidance about how to work with that on an energetic basis. And that's essentially how I kind of went through doing that work while I was in India. And then um, when my husband and I left India and went to Grand Bahama, I um, just continued on with that. And I started reading more books by um, Llewellyn Vaughan Lee, who is a Sufi master and he's written beautiful books. He's, he's in the Sufi tradition with Mrs. Irina Tweedy. And he speaks about and shares about dreams and the importance of dream messages, looking at the unconscious and working with the psyche. Because he says, and it's true, if you don't work with the, with the psyche, then you can either become unbalanced if you have an awakening, a kundalini awakening, or you can go the other way and become filled with ego. And we've, of course, we've seen that through, through time with respect to um, teachers who just become very egoic monsters. <laughs> so. Um, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, thank you. This is very insightful tools, practical tools, um, you know, using relationships as well to help us to go deeper. I think that is uh, one of the most difficult parts of many of us, difficult parts of the journey for many of us that are here in, in the Western world um, without very easy access to go live in isolation in a community. But it's a, it's a really powerful way to go very deep relationships. Um, and I love your attitude there, you know, to see that the qualities in others are the same qualities in us, the same mechanisms are at play in us. It's actually quite simple, really. We're all just trying to get by and people's behavior, including our own, is just trying to get by, just try to feel safe. Um, it's not much, much going on much deeper than that, really, if you boil it down. Um, so that's that's pretty fascinating stuff there on the shadow work. And of course, I invite uh, listeners out there to check out uh, your work, um, your book here, You know, Meeting the Shadow, Finding Yourself. You got the handbook there to go even deeper, I'm sure, because this is really important stuff uh, for the for the Kundalini path. The language that I use is uh, the the purification period, uh, the purging period of emotional and psychological material. But it all it all comes back down to the same work here, shadow work, just facing all of it. And I really love the way you uh, described it here, seeing, integrating and loving it all into the light. That's ultimately what it's all about. So thank you for for this wisdom here. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, so you, you mentioned, I think in your email, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you mentioned in your email to me that you experienced a top-down awakening uh, in, in this experience like you described, you know, um, 
the, uh, the, the guru tapped you on the head. You felt this energy, the Shakti flowing inwards. Um, but prior to that, you described uh, a, a forward fold and the lower back tailbone area. Is that what popped? Yes, I had. Um, well, let me just kind of for context as well. When I was 14, I was thrown off a horse. Interesting. And um, I landed on my back and tailbone. No, it was on the it was um, kind of on the lower back on the left hand side is oh, where right. I landed. Okay. Yeah. So so what happened was I, I think I went must have gone to the doctor, got medication, got over it and so on and so forth. But um, a few weeks or months later, I'd gone to the, to throw some trash in the garbage bin and I bent forward and my back kind of locked and spasmed and I was in agony. And I remember my mother saying to me, oh, that's it. You know, once you hurt your back, you've got it for life. And something rose up within me and said, no, I don't have it for life. I'm not going to buy into that. And I was guided to, to search out and find something, you know, anything that would help with respect to yoga. And I knew that yoga would help. So I went, you know, downtown to a little bookstore and I found this book on yoga. I have it here, actually. It's called Wake Up to Yoga. And it's, it's so old, but it little, but, you know, I used to use it religiously and follow that. And um, so that's what started the yoga practice way back when I was very young. Um, and so this, you know, with this kind of bullying, it was kind of bullying from this fitness instructor, actually, this guy who was pushing, you know, pushing me. And with respect to the, when I was thrown off the horse, it was a bunch of these young guys. And somebody said to, who were, they were, um, they were on scooters and they were blowing the horn and it frightened the horses. There was a whole bunch of us on horses and the horses took off running. And then I was thrown off and dragged in the, you know, I had my foot in the stirrup and was just dragged. Um, and my friend who's a healer said to me some years later, you know, these are acts of male aggression. And I realized, oh, yeah, you know, it, it really they really were. But um, but what happened is that, um, you know, the, the the problems with the bat really related to this energy that needed to be set free, essentially, is what that was. Very interesting. Um, yeah. yeah so I, I'm I'm guilty of I guess perpetuating this idea because I've talked about it, which is these distinctions between a top-down awakening, a bottom-up awakening. But in in my work um overall, I'm my intention here is to try and clear up these distinctions as if they're black and white because they're not. Um the energy is it's all over, it's moving in all directions at all times, it's it's not so binary because i know that some people say well i had a top-down awakening and therefore it's going to be different but then when we look in their journey and experience i say well there's more going on here than just one direction of awakening it's it's all over and we see that's even in your journey and i'm just highlighting it to just demonstrate um you know early on like you said you, interestingly i was actually using the example about blunt force trauma in rare cases, triggering a Kundalini awakening. And the example that I came up with was you might fall off a horse. And I actually used that example thinking that it was sort of um, hyperbolic. And, and, yeah. and here you are saying, well, this is actually what happened to me. So that's very interesting. But yeah, um, um, yeah even for me, I, I had uh, initial experiences were, were in, my, in my spine. Then from the top of my head, I had an experience. Then again, I had another rising and another rising from the bottom. So it's, it's not like just yeah. one, or, you don't just fall into one or two camps. If you're going through this transformation, you're going to go through this transformation. It looks different for everybody. The tools, the, the concepts are useful to understand a little bit, but eventually we just have to surrender it all to the natural unfolding and the spontaneous unfolding of this, which involves all the directions, our full body, left, yes. right, all of that. Yeah. 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 Look, I think what's happened is, the Kundalini, Shakti pattern, all these things um, have been have become very well known now. I mean, certainly when it happened to me, you couldn't find anything about <laughs> any of it. And I think in many ways it's being hijacked because there are teachers who claim to give be able to give Shakti pat. In in my experience, um, what I always would you know, if somebody claims that I would say, who is your teacher and who is your teacher's teacher? Because because 
there's an authority there's um there's a big you know relationship between a, a, an authentic Shaktibat guru and his guru and his guru's guru. And it goes back to, like the Siddhas, they go back to Lord Shida, Shiva himself. And the thing is that they, when they give Shaktipat, they can give Shaktipat through, you know, like tapping on the top of the head or through thought, through word, through mantra. They can do it anyway. It doesn't really matter where you kind of receive it initially wherever it kind of lands in you is is it doesn't make a difference it does does the work and and to kind of confirm that let me just also share something I've never shared before actually but um, I think it was maybe five or six weeks after the first initiation from Bhagavan Nichinanda I was um, lay, lying in bed it was you know I was moving between kind of deep sleep and coming into waking. I was in that um, state. And I felt this presence moving into the room that was so incredibly profound and powerful. It was huge. And I was a little afraid. And so I said, if you are of God, you are welcome. If you are not of God, leave now. Yeah. And this presence did not move. And in fact, in fact, it came closer. And as this presence came closer, I recognized it was Bhagavan Nityananda of Ganeshpuri. And he leaned down and my arm, I was lying on my side and my left arm was hanging out of the bed. And he tapped my elbow. And this incredible force poured, it was the same as when he tapped me on the top. It was even bigger, it felt even bigger than the first time, but this incredible force began pouring into my body and it was swirling around, going through every cell again and up and down and just vibrating. And I was hearing Omnima Shivaya, Omnima Shivaya, Omnima. And it was, you know, my being or my, my consciousness was just kind of expanding. And I, I was just vibrating from head to foot with this incredibly powerful energy. And after some time, I finally, it seems like hours, but I finally came back into waking and again, my entire body was vibrating and pulsating. And my arm was really, it was almost like it was kind of sore, you know, and it felt inflamed. And for days afterwards, I would hold my elbow to kind of, you know, kind of take some of the relief off of it, so to speak. Um, but I, I was just ecstatic because, because of the profundity of what I'd been given. And I'd never, I'd never read anything about anybody receiving Shaktipat via their elbow, ever. I mean, <laughs> um, but I did realize through that direct experience, oh, of course, you know, the Siddhas can give Shaktipat to any part of the body from, from any distance via a dream or, you know, they could be across the other side of the world or whatever through thought. Um, but the the outcome is, is, is evident. It becomes so evident. Yeah. And not to mention even the, the letter in the mail that you received, I've heard of some who are offering Shaktipat to offer, I think they call it Shaktipat in abstentia. So through an item that has been blessed with that, that energy, I think, um, I think I read it in the sacred power by Swami Kripananda. She describes Muktananda had a, a Rottweiler, and the Rottweiler was taken to the vet, and the vet experienced some some sort of uh, transmission from the dog, and uh, because the dog was so radiant with Shakti as well. There's so many ways that this can take place, even just entering into a, a, a physical location as well. You know, a temple and ashram where that that Shakti has been cultivated. It, it's it's really incredible, and I I love that story. That's a great uh, um, one that I'm going to share with others who get a little too caught up in the root up awakening top down awakening i will say hey julie hoyle had a shaktipat through the elbow right so yeah it's you know it's not even uh one of the chakras right it's, it's yes yes it's just yeah. so so universal in this way the entire body is 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 open to this yes and you know um all of that top down bottom up or whatever you know whatever you want to put it this is just kind of again being hijacked by western teachers who try to present something a little different this for the siddhas there's no such thing because 
it's the Shakti is freely given, it's freely available, and it will manifest in you and be given to you in the best way, the most organic way for you that so that you can receive it. You know, it doesn't have to be, and there's not one better than the other. I mean, what they do say is there are, there are different kind of forms or le levels of, of, of the way it's given, depending on how dense the person or jud is the term they use, right? Some people are like, they say a wet log, you know, and the log has to dry out first. Other people are really dry and just will just like burst into flame as soon as they receive Shaktipat. So it's, it is, it's very different for each one of us, but, but it's certainly not prescriptive in terms of how it's received, it, you know. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, you're actually the second person that I've encountered who had a Shaktipat experience with Bhagwan Nityananda. I know there are many. Um, however, you're the second person that... Briefly, I can share about the first person. So I was actually at a yoga studio, uh, a local yoga studio, and they had like an open house and they invited this uh, uh, guest speaker. He's a meditation teacher. And this is a yoga studio that, you know, does a lot of uh, it's basically exercise, right? But here comes this, this meditation teacher and, um, you know, the room is full of 30 people or so. And he's, he's speaking from a pretty high place, some pretty, some pretty deep teachings he's sharing. And, uh, he asked, you know, who here knows about Ramana Maharshi? And, uh, you know, <laughs> I just shyly raised my hand and nobody else raised their hand. They had, nobody had heard of Ramana. I thought this is interesting. So he describes, uh, Shaktipat and I'm listening with great, a great interest about this guy's Shaktipat experiences. And he describes the same sort of thing that Bhagwan Nityananda appeared to him in this room and had, you know, given him this great transmission and everybody else around me. I mean, they're, like I said, they're mostly interested in the, the physical components of yoga. So they're just like, well, this is a little far out and intense. I don't know what this guy's talking about, but um, I felt really blessed that I had encountered somebody else who was experiencing this. And I think even uh, after this meeting, I approached him, I said, you know, I'm going through this sort of kundalini awakening process too and he was also stunned like oh my god somebody else so uh, um there's not too many people that um can speak about this uh safe that we can speak about this so so openly and safely with and that's why i really appreciate what you're doing on your channel coming out and sharing and talking with your books and supporting others because so many people around the world are experiencing this but in our close circles it's, it's very hard to uh to relate some of this stuff, it, it's just so, so crazy. You could put it that way. It's just so crazy. But um, I'm really appreciative of, of the work that you're doing, Julie, and, and your story. It's just so, so fascinating. And I'm sure there's so many other little auspicious tales that you have to share um, that, of course, we don't have all the time to, to get into. But uh, I'm looking forward to chatting some more and um, getting to know a little bit more about your journey. So please let our audience know where they can connect with you, what you've got going on. Um, I've, I've mentioned your books. I'm sure you've got a, an Amazon profile where people can find you. You have your website, please. Uh, all the links will be in the description, but please, uh, Julie, tell us what you've got to offer. Sure. So uh, you can find me on my website, juliehoyle.org. And I offer one-on-one -on -one sessions with people who are new to the Kundalini awakening process. I also offer shadow work sessions and at the very end of the seeking process, I also work with people who are ready to end seeking and to take ownership or step into the truth of the oneself. Um, in addition to that, I have my channel on YouTube, which is titled Talking True, where I'm interviewing and speaking to mystics, near-death experiences, healers, and people who are going through their own awakenings. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Julie Hall Official, and yeah, my books are on Amazon. So there's plenty of places where you can find me and reach out. And there's plenty of free content, um, you know, via my channel. And also, um, I've done a lot of presentations on the Buddhist Biohacker channel on YouTube, too. So um, I've been very busy. <laughs> or the Shakti has been busy, put it like that. <laughs> keeping you busy with a full plate. Fantastic. Thank you so much for all the value you're offering to those on the path. 
the, all the links to Julie's work will be in the description. Please go ahead, check it out, support her on Instagram, on YouTube, uh, um, check out the books. And Julie, thank you so much for, for joining us today and also for the opportunity to uh, connect with you on your channel, Talking True. I really, uh, I'm really happy that we got to connect and uh, really, really, it's been a great weekend for me chatting with you uh, uh, just yesterday, Saturday and, and today, Sunday. So um, I'm really blessed. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been, it's been my honor. I just have loved every, every second because uh, Bhagavan Nityananda is the one that brought us together. <laughs> and I just love that. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Really, really incredible, incredible journey that uh, we're on. So thank you to our listeners as well for hanging out with Julie and I really appreciate you and all of your support. Uh, you all know what to do. Leave a rating, like subscribe, all of that good stuff. Thank you all for your support. It's really, uh, what keeps this all going. And until next time, much love and peace.